Uh, it's great to see how ESL teachers and core content teachers team up because now they know how to do it. Um, many times, uh, you know, we hear about, well, we don't know how to co-teach or our co-teaching didn't work or, oh, we got divorced <laughs> somewhere along the way. <laughs> and and um, when they all go through the same PT, they immediately jump into planning and saying, okay, so you do this part and I'll do that part. And uh, while you're doing this, uh, I'll do this with my L's. So it's, it's beautiful to see how all of that comes together when um, they're on the same page. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How can we ensure that English learners and dual language learners are given the opportunity to engage in rigorous content area courses? Why is focusing on Tier 2 vocabulary, or connectors and transition words, so important to developing reading comprehension skills? How can a whole school approach to professional development help content teachers infuse academic language into their subject area lessons? We discuss these questions and much more in part one of a two-part series with Dr. Margarita Calderon. Dr. Calderon is a retired professor emerita and senior research scientist at Johns Hopkins University. She worked on numerous research and development projects from 1990 to 2010 from Johns Hopkins. For the past 10 years, Dr. Calderon has been an expert consultant for the U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, helping states such as Massachusetts and school districts come into compliance. As president of Margarita Calderon and Associates Incorporated, Dr. Calderon and her team of 10 associates conduct comprehensive professional development and coaching on XL in many schools, districts, and statewide institutes throughout the country and internationally. Dr. Calderon has over 100 publications to her credit. Some of those you'll be able to find in the show notes of this episode at elevationeducation.com slash ellcommunity. There you can also read about her work with the Carnegie Corporation, George Washington University, the U.S. Department of Education, and many, many more. Before we get started with our conversation with Dr. Margarita Calderon, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ellcommunity. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage with great content like our short video series, blog posts, and articles. And finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations, and I would definitely include this episode's guest as one of those. As always, thanks for listening. Here's part one of our two-part conversation with Dr. Margarita Calderon. Dr. Margarita Calderon, uh, thanks for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Well, 
Thank you for the invitation. It's my honor. Uh, I went into the, your website and I saw that I am in wonderful company. You've had some terrific uh, colleagues of mine, and so I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. You know, we've been very lucky. I, one thing is I've learned from this is when you ask people to share their expertise, they generally say yes, even when you don't have any, you know, anybody <laughs> on it. So the first guest we had was Dr. Connor Williams, who was wonderful. And from there, it's just been great all the way up to this one. So thank you. And thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. So I want to start with something that you mentioned to me when we first talked about doing this, um, this episode. Um, and it was, it was, it was compelling to me. You said that many of the dual language learners um, and English language learners in our country are finding success in elementary schools, but then failing to earn the seal of biliteracy in high school. That's something we've talked a lot about, the seal of biliteracy. But I'm curious as to why you think this is the case, that there's that sort of um, the delay or whatever it is between elementary and high school or difference between those two programs. Uh, sure. Uh, I was as surprised as you are when I found out from uh, a State Department education person who said, well, you know, a lot of our former L's are graduating from high school. We're very excited about that. But they're not uh, graduating with a seal of literacy. Uh, and I said, well, I asked why. And she said, mainly because they don't have the the grades they they don't have the a's and the b's you know they have a lot of c's in the content areas and so in many places uh, it disqualifies the students because they have to have a good grade average as well as uh, pass those uh, dual language tests so uh, yes it is it is sad yeah, and so so, do you think what's happening is in you know in, in elementary schools, um, sort of the, the 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 rigor of the courses or what they're doing in the courses, or they're just not experiencing those content courses is allowing them to kind of continue on that trend and be successful. But then in high schools, they get into these content classes, and I mean, is it, you know, we'll get into this later, but is it is it a is it an academic language kind of thing? Is it a vocabulary uh, issue? Um, what is what is a major thing that's happening in elementary schools that maybe isn't happening in high schools? Um, I I think that um, there there isn't enough rigor and there isn't enough concentration on the content areas. Uh, in some dual language schools, they'll teach one content in, um, for instance, in Spanish, and a different content area in English but rarely do they teach both in both languages. Mm -hmm. um, although now we're beginning to see more and more of a balanced um, instruction in the content areas. But I think in the past, and particularly for the students that are now in middle and high schools, they kind of missed out on the language of science in English or maybe the language of uh, history, social studies, uh, plus uh, the intensity of reading, of uh, delving deeper into content books. Uh, therefore, by the time they get to middle school, then uh, they're not prepared to read a lot of those dense books, to, to go through um, in-depth instruction in biology, um, mm -hmm. 
algebra, chemistry. And uh, I think, you know, that's part of the problem. But as you said, there are several other issues that go along with that. Right. So not enough rigor. That's interesting. And I think, you know, it, you know, the social language probably, correct me if I'm wrong, is there, but that academic language uh, necessary for those content courses um, may be lagging. Right. Uh, you know, with, there's a lot of research out there. Uh, many researchers have been looking at um, academic language. And what do we mean by vocabulary and learning the words that are most important for else. And so we see through studies by Carlo, August, um, and many other colleagues that um, they figured that if students, if the else have not mastered at least 25,000 words by the end of fifth grade, it's going to be very difficult for them to pick up on the academic language in middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time they leave uh, high school, they should have mastered, they should have a verbal repertoire, uh, not just in reading and writing, but actually apply and use those um, uh, 50,000 words uh, in their repertoire in, in order to have done well in high school and be prepared to go to college or our workplace ready. And right. so, yeah, so I think the elementary schools need to be a little more conscientious about teaching at least three to 5,000 words per year in English. And of course, in dual language schools, it should be both languages. Right, right. Which, which begs, you know, that, which, is, which is a challenge, you know, because then you have uh, these content teachers who can't just be masters of their content, they and they they can't just be masters um, of their language. Which which brings me to another question. I think, you know, a challenge that that content teachers are facing, and we're seeing it frequently, and we're seeing it quite a bit with math, um, which we've have been doing a lot of research on here, um, is the idea that language and content are like two separate things, right? And and in an ideal world, and we preach to the choir here quite frequently, you know, in an ideal world, we say. Um, you know, all teachers are teachers of language, but, but really, you know, that that's not necessarily the case in all, in all situations. So my question here is, you know, what are some ways, whether we're thinking of elementary school or middle school or even high school, what are some ways we can help teachers unite the two, that is language and content, so students are simultaneously working on language acquisition and content goals, which I feel like is the, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we're all looking for, the gold standard. Right, right. Um, the you know it goes back to the traditional way of doing professional development the esl eld teachers go through their own pd and then the content teachers only go through pd that deals with their discipline great point right but rarely do they come together and uh, look at algebra through a language perspective what is the language of algebra of math which is very different from the language of science, right? And in science, the language of science, the way we talk about science, the way we write about science is so different from the language of social studies. And all of that is definitely different from English language 
arts. Mm -hmm. And and so even within the disciplines, uh, science, social studies, math teachers do not really communicate with ELA teachers that much and uh, kind of leave it up to the ELA teachers to teach language, which um, keeps separating the richness of language development and uh, my pet peeve and literacy. But I'll talk about reading and writing a little bit later. Uh, to get back to your question, it, it is an issue that uh, they don't study together. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, at syllabi from different universities, and the universities do not prepare the content teachers, the core content teachers, to teach academic language. Right. So it's not their fault. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. And and you, have, you they, have to seek it out. I mean, I was a, I was yeah. a school teacher for seventeen years, and you know, and I taught Spanish, and and I, there was never any formal uh, collaboration between, for example, foreign language teachers uh, and and teachers of English learners. Um, and you know, I came into Elevation, this company that you know that we've worked to maximize impacts in English learners, thinking, oh, well, I work with language, I must have some some idea of what's happening. But it's a totally different world. It's just not, it's just totally disjointed. And it sounds like what you're saying is that. This is the case in a lot, and I, I've seen it myself, this is the case in a lot of different content areas. They're disjointed, they're not going to the PD together, and therefore, as you mentioned, it's really not their fault, um, <laughs> unless they go and seek it out, right? Which is hard to do when you're right. super busy. Right, right. Um, although we've seen uh, some wonderful examples of uh, school districts that um, have seen the light. <laughs> and, and now they're, they're calling for extensive PD, you know, three days in a row on how to teach academic language, vocabulary, reading comprehension and writing skills for English learners. And the whole school has to participate. Yeah, which is key. Yeah, and when the whole school, including the ESL, ELD teachers and the principals, counselors, when everyone participates, it, it, it immediately begins to change mindsets mm -hmm. and helping everyone uh, move away from that traditional professional learning, um, which keeps everyone isolated. And so it's, you know, it's exciting to see that uh, this is beginning to happen. Yeah, let me ask you a follow-up question about that. It's, I'm really curious about this. So, you know, when you say that there are some sort of beacons of light and there are some schools who are doing this kind of PD that's really effective, they're all together, they're talking about academic language um, and, you know, collaborating. What is it at those schools or districts that, that promotes or provokes that, that desire to have this kind of PD and, and actually go about doing it? Is it uh, an administrator who is sort of really passionate about this? Is it that they're not seeing success among their English learners or dual language learners? Is it a combination of things? What have, what have you observed? All of the above. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really takes someone uh, to take the lead, someone who is at the cutting edge, of uh, knowledge is aware of what really needs to happen in order for not just ALS but all students to be successful. And, and then um, uh, in addition to that, it's also the fact that there are so many ALS uh, underachieving 
and it's having an impact on schools. And so now the school principals are saying, oh, yeah, I I want to do that. I think, you know, it's a great idea, district office, what you're offering, because I know that my students uh, need help and my teachers want to help, but they don't know how. And and so it kind of starts there, or at least the school districts that I'm working with. And then once they get started, they begin to see that, oh, yeah, this works. Uh, and it's working for all students. Right. Even my, my general education students didn't know uh, depth of word meaning for this and that and that. And now they're, they're really getting um, excited about language. Yeah, and you just mentioned something crucial, and I say it, uh, oh, I'm sure anybody who listens to this frequently will hear me say almost on every episode that we do that, you know, you just mentioned the gen ed students. I mean, this is good instruction. And in this case, good PD for everyone. Um, they're, they're, you're not leaving anybody behind by putting language and academic language um, in the spotlight for sure. Right, right. I've even seen some uh, wonderful special education teachers um, co-teaching with ESL teachers and they're both using uh, they're using the same strategies with special education students, but have tweaked it enough so that they're addressing, especially the more severe uh, handicapped students uh, who they thought, oh, they'll never be able to learn this much language. And, and they are. And that is very exciting to me. But they're just part of a whole school who has invested in doing this. And so they support each other. It's great to see how ESL teachers and core content teachers team up because now they know how to do it. Um, Many times, uh, you know, we hear about well, we don't know how to co-teach or our co-teaching didn't work or, oh, we got divorced <laughs> somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and um, when they all go through the same PD, they immediately jump into planning and saying, okay, so you do this part and I'll do that part. And uh, while you're doing this, uh, I'll do this with my else. So it's, it's beautiful to see how, all of that comes together when um, they're on the same page. Yeah. And when they know what their roles are and they're not in silos, you know, it's just, it's just really, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. It doesn't happen everywhere. And there's so many things that I could say about what what you just mentioned. Um, I'll, I'll refrain from mentioning everything. So I want to get to some other questions, but you know, just, just the idea of co-teaching getting better. Now we've done, a couple episodes on that. And I've been really excited to hear from people who are doing this, this really well, the idea of, of, of making English um, teachers of, uh, or EL teachers leaders in their schools, um, taking them out of their silos is crucial. And then the other thing that I wanted to say um, was the idea of, you know, you mentioned that, that there's some sort of crossover as to how, um, you know, we're working with academic language and vocabulary with English learners and uh, students with, uh, with disabilities. Um, or special education students. We just interviewed um, Grace Kalamanek and Amy Lucenta, who are the authors of a book called Routines for Reasoning. Um, mm. And it's about math. Uh, and their book is not, it's not strictly about how you work with English learners 
uh, in math classes, although they are highlighted, but they're also highlighted with students with disabilities and students who just need remedial help. And these, these routines that they have work for everyone. And it's all about making sure that you can kind of talk through math, that you have the academic language to be able to do it. So it's really nice to see the work being done in this. And I truly believe that we're in a time now, and I'd love to hear your reaction to this, um, mm. that, that sort of all of the, everything's kind of aligning, I feel like, that we're at a place where, where maybe in the next couple of years, we might see some some sea change. Am I being too optimistic there? <laughs> I, I hope not. And I, I'm always hopeful. And I, I think I'm a uh, hundred times more optimistic. <laughs> I've been optimistic for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, well, and... you certainly have more experience with it than I do. So your opinion <laughs> is way more valid than mine. And so I've seen gradual uh, transition to this. But in the last couple of years, it's been accelerated. And that's what makes me feel more positive about the changes that are coming. I do see more and more collaboration across schools and school district offices. Um, of course, like I said, like you and I said, ESL teachers and core content teachers. So I think it will uh, begin to, to come together align a lot better than it has in the past, um, certainly with vocabulary, but I still have one concern, and that is that it's still not coming together as much with reading mm -hmm. and writing. Uh, and, you know, we kind of see that in... Um, test scores and, and those things that keep the students, the L's from um, getting the best grades uh, ever. And uh, for more students to, to exit out of uh, ELL status and to do well after they've exited. Right. And, um, you know, I always say vocabulary is only a precursor into reading. Reading comprehension is key. And the reason I did my research was because uh, I wanted to see how we could teach reading to English learners. And in the process of studying that, we realized that vocabulary was critical. It has to start with vocabulary, uh, with enough uh, word knowledge, for students to dive into reading, and then while reading, they can learn more vocabulary. However, without reading comprehension strategies, without someone explicitly teaching the students, especially the long-term else, how to read for particular purposes, and uh, you know, even how to make inferences, how to find evidence, uh, refute evidence, claims, etc. Nobody ever taught them that, mm -hmm. and and especially not in the content areas. As science instruction moves into more sophisticated instruction, where students are are to become more scientists in their pursuit of knowledge. Uh, and by the same token in math, where students are supposed to uh, 
comprehend and articulate and write about their problems. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where we're seeing a lot of the students still uh, flounder because, again, it's not their fault, but because core content teachers were never really exposed to how to teach reading in chemistry, in engineering, in biology. And um, each one of those has particular structures, uh, text structures, and of course text features, that unless the teachers uh, are um, not just exposed, but actually practice integrating these into their lessons, it's very difficult for them to do so. Right. Let's let's stay on that topic for a minute. I'm curious about like one thing that I just took out of what you said is, you know, you, you need to teach students um, reading comprehension strategies, but in order for them to be at the level or at the point where they can engage in any kind of reading and therefore reading comprehension, they need to have uh, a certain amount of vocabulary at their disposal to be able to just understand what is being said. Is it, am I on the right track there? Uh, yes, yes, yes. So, so my, I guess if I'm on the right track, my next question is, you know, one of the things that, that I've been reading a lot about, particularly with math, is this idea of, you know, pre-teaching vocabulary or front-loading vocabulary. Um, there's research out there that says that that's, that, that that's not the right thing to do. Um, and, and I think that research is coming from the idea of like, if it's out of context and this whole idea of like, you're going to give a list of 25 words and then quiz the student at the end of the week and then move on. Right. I mean, obviously as a mm -hmm. teacher myself, I know that's completely ineffective just anecdotally in my own experience. So my, I guess my question is, you know, how, what is the balance? Like, how do you go about making sure um, that students have uh, the vocabulary that they need to to begin engaging in reading comprehension in whatever the content area is, mm -hmm. and then take that next step, to, to, or, or so you can take that next step to talk about reading comprehension strategies in the particular areas. Does that make sense? My question makes sense. Oh yes, yes, very, very clear, and um, uh, something we you know we we worked at for for five years. Uh, and so we asked the teachers to take a text, for instance, uh, take a couple of uh, pages that deal with uh, osmosis, photosynthesis, something like that, and uh, select from each page maybe five keywords, but not the words that are already explained in sentences on that page, what we call the tier three words, the science the words. So it's not, a, you know, as important for the teacher to select words like osmosis, photosynthesis, because those words are, for the most part, explained in a sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, it, they'll say something like, uh, it, now we need to consider osmosis as defined by blah, 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 blah. Right. They're in the definitions are built into the reading, but, but yet the, the <laughs> like the teacher, and I know cause I did this, the teacher wants to define those words, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can see where you're going here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not important. It's important as teaching what we call the tier two words. 
these are the connectors, the transition words, the words that um, uh, are in a long sentence where osmosis is found. And these words are the ones that get omitted. Most textbooks highlight the tier three words, mm -hmm. uh, content specific words, but those other words, words that have multiple meanings and that are in a sentence, particularly in math, uh, you know, those math problems are really <laughs> drive ELLs crazy, not because they don't understand the math, but there are words that, um, for instance, the word left. So left is a polysemous word. It's a multiple meaning word. Mm -hmm. Left, what do you mean? Uh, was it left behind? Are we talking about your left? Uh, what, what kind of left are we, are we talking about? And so the students get bogged down trying to figure out which meaning. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's those words that need to be pulled out of a, out of a chunk of text, pre-taught, maybe only five words, like you said, not <laughs> long list of words, but we chunk the text the students are about to read. And from a small chunk, we select five words, and we teach those words in two minutes each. So it should only take 10 minutes to pre-teach five words that will enable the students to get into the reading and comprehend just enough to figure out some of those other words in there, but to be able to uh, continue reading and comprehend as much as possible. And, and so that's the purpose of, of pre-teaching vocabulary. Later, they can learn some more words, they can study words in depth, but the front loading of vocabulary is only a precursor for meaningful reading, beginning reading. Right. Right? And so that connection is still not being made. Uh, there are many strategies out there that will take up to 20 minutes to teach one word because what the students are doing is that they're copying the word, they're looking it up in the dictionary, they're drawing pictures, uh, they're doing a lot of things, but not really using it verbally at least uh, 12 times with a partner. And as you and I know, if you really want to learn something, you teach it, you verbalize yeah. it, right? And so if we want to know one particular meaning of uh, uh, left, then we need to practice that meaning with a buddy several times with our own sentences. Or some phrases like uh, over the course of, or even uh, connectors transition words like thereby, mm -hmm. therefore, mm -hmm. uh, notwithstanding, those are the ones that uh, create problems for students sure. when they take the tests, right? Yeah, this makes total sense. And yet I I'm a hundred percent sure that not that there's a lot of people who aren't thinking of it this way. And again, through no fault of their own, they just haven't been trained this way. But boy, when you hear it, especially the way you just explained it, I mean, it makes total sense. And, and I, would, I would also say that 
for students who are interested in learning language, which are most of them, and they want to be able to socialize not only academically, but with their friends and their families, the words that you're explaining are words that are useful in multiple contexts, specifically the ones that have multiple meanings, right? Word like left is a great example. And if you're teaching those words to sort of open the door to allow the students to access the text that they're looking at, I feel like you're also promoting a productive struggle, right? Like where now the student has to comprehend what the word parabola means, right? But maybe it's defined in there. Mm-hmm. But if they have the, those other words, it's like the key to, to, to open, open that door. So again, it provides that like rigor that we're always looking for. Um, I feel like it provides the students with an adequate challenge that they feel like they've accomplished something rather than saying, hey, here's the word parabola. Let's define it 20 times before, you know, we, we go into this. And then they stumble over those other words. It's really, I mean, it's as much as I'd like to say that I, you know, knew all this before. I mean, the, the way that you phrased it, I feel like is very um, powerful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. And, and um, in addition to learning all these words, uh, it helps them to put together discourse. Right. You know, that's another thing that everyone says, well, you know, he's very good at social, uh, at uh, talking socially, but academic discourse isn't there. Well, it's not there because it doesn't have the connectors. It doesn't have all those extra words that come in uh, the academic language uh, realm. Uh, they need sentence starters, question starters. Uh, how do you end the sentence? How do you begin another sentence? Uh, how do you interject and how do you add uh, and without having to say all the time, and, and, and. What about words like moreover, uh, subsequently? All those words that, uh, that make a, a speaker um, sound more intelligent uh, and, uh, and more powerful. That's it for part one of our two-part series with Dr. Margarita Calderon. On part two, we'll learn more about her XL program, that's E-X-C-E-L-L, and how it's helping teachers better serve their English learners and dual language learners. We'll also learn about how to better coach others and observe classrooms using uh, observation protocols that help administrators understand what teaching vocabulary, reading, etc. should look like. We'll also talk about how to create a culture of giving and receiving feedback. We also come back to our initial question about the seal of biliteracy to find out how all of this work might help more students access it at the end of their K-12 careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Highest Aspirations. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.